As you know, in the season after Easter here at Kenilworth Union, we have been preaching this series of sermons called Shafts of Light, which is about the 20th century saints and heroes who are memorialized in the windows in our Molot Chapel. Today, Václav Havel, more about that in a moment. Uh, we're using the Hebrew Psalter as our guide to look at these 20th century figures. Today, Psalm 119, starting at verse 41. As you know, Psalm 119 <clears throat> is the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm in the Hebrew Psalter, 176 verses, all in homage to God's Torah, to the law of God. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for those who taunt me, for I trust in your word. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your ordinances. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. I shall walk at liberty, for I have sought the precepts of God. I will also speak of your decrees before kings and shall not be put to shame. I find my delight in your commandments because I love them. I revere your commandments and I will meditate upon your statutes. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, he was a playwright for crying out loud. He wrote 19 pretty good plays, but you probably have not seen even one unless you speak Czech. You may not even be terribly familiar with his name. Therefore, what is Václav Havel doing in our stained glass windows alongside the likes of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King? Well, I am glad you asked. Václav Havel was born in Prague in 1936. Here's a little friendly word from your Surgeon General. He smoked like a chimney and died of lung cancer at 75 in 2011. Václav Havel was to the manor born. His father was a prosperous, prominent Prague property potentate, and so Václav's childhood home was crawling with a small army of nannies, servants, and chauffeurs. But the family lost everything in 1948 when the communists took over. And this is just one of the many reasons Václav Havel thought of communism as an ideological disease. And so Little Václav grows up not privileged but poor and finds a job at a theater in Prague as a stagehand, but it's not too long before he's actually writing the plays instead of moving the props, and most of his plays are about the absurdity of human life in a totalitarian regime. And so in 1975, at the age of 39, Václav Havel finally decides he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. And he writes this letter to Communist Party General Secretary Gustav Huzak. And this letter becomes not only famous but incendiary. Mr. Havel complains about the aesthetics of banality in the Communist Party and the cult of right-thinking mediocrity. I love his bluntness. He never pulled any punches. 
He begins referring to communist Czechoslovakia as absurdistan. Absurdistan. And he calls communists a monstrous, ramshackle, stinking machine. And his metaphor of machine there is very intentional because a machine is lifeless and does not care about the vitality of human life. That's communism, he said. Now, it probably won't surprise you that such impolitic language got Václav Havel thrown into prison for five years, where the warden was an unreconstructed admirer of Adolf Hitler and detested dissidents like Václav Havel. When the warden found out that Mr. Havel was writing letters for the gypsy inmates because they couldn't read, he threw Mr. Havel into solitary confinement. However, Mr. Havel's five years of imprisonment did him absolutely no good because as soon as he gets released, he commences again his epistolary warfare with communist Czechoslovakia. He and Lech Walesa in Poland are the two people most responsible for the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe and the fall of the Berlin, Berlin Wall in 1989. Listen to this. Not a shot was fired. They called it the Velvet Revolution. Isn't that wonderful? The Velvet Revolution. When Mr. Havel became the most prominent dissident in Czechoslovakia, people began asking him, how did this happen? You're a mild-mannered, unassuming dramaturge. How did this happen to you? And he would always say, it was an accident. We just stumbled into it. We don't know how. And then we started landing in jails. We don't know how. We just started doing some things that seemed like the decent things to do. Yes? When the wall fell down and communism collapsed, Mr. Havel was elected to the presidency of Czechoslovakia and served there for three years until the Czechs and the Slovaks decided they each wanted their own separate country. And Mr. Havel decided he didn't want to preside over this divorce between these companion peoples. So he just up and quit the presidency and walked out of the Prague Palace wearing a T-shirt and carrying a backpack. The divorce went well, though, between Slovakia and the Czech Republic. They called that the Velvet Divorce. And when it was over, Mr. Havel was immediately elected as the first president of the new Czech Republic and served for another 11 years. In 2003, President Bush awarded this Czech dissident, this prisoner, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And when Mr. Havel died in 2011, President Obama said his peaceful resistance shook the foundations of an empire. Think about that. This nonviolent playwright shook the foundations of the Soviet empire. Today, there is a bust of Mr. Havel in the U.S. Capitol building one of only four non-Americans who is so honored, including Winston Churchill and Raoul Wallenberg, who is also in our windows in the Moat Chapel. At the Capitol insurrection on January 6th, someone put a MAGA hat on his head. Now, Gil Bowen and his minions 
put Václav Havel into our windows alongside Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King in 1993. Think about that. Berlin Wall's been down for four years. It's about the same time that he's quitting the presidency of Czechoslovakia or taking the presidency of the Czech Republic, 1993, and he will still be with us for another 20 years on this earth. And you know, it's always questionable to build architectural tributes to living people (laughs) because you never know what they're going to do uh, until they shuffle off this mortal coil. So that's kind of questionable. But it turned out to be an astute decision in this case because Mr. Havel is such a crucial defender of democracy and denier of despots. And what could be more important than having that very shaft of light in that chapel where our children learn about God and goodness? Because just now there is this mysterious, curious zeitgeist around the world which is suspicious of democracy. There is this trend toward authoritarianism. It's everywhere. It's in Nicaragua. It's in Poland. It's in Hungary. It's in Russia. It's in Myanmar. It's in Hong Kong. It's in China. It's in Saudi Arabia. There's this trend toward authoritarianism, this power grab everywhere where a small group of people would rather make the decisions that really belong to all of us. So keep your kings and your emperors and your generalissimos. I want a president. So democracy is hard to do, but it's easy to understand. Because its core principles and common courtesies come to us from the kindergarten classroom. Yes, you take turns. If you lose an election, you stand down and let someone else take a shot. The kindergarten, we make our decisions together. We're all the deciders. One person, one vote. We all get a voice and we all get a vote because we're all equal children of God and we all deserve the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Somebody described the voting as the commonest and most important form of nonviolent protest. I love that way of thinking about it. Voting is a form of nonviolent protest because if you don't like the bozo sitting in at town hall or the state house or the White House or in the Capitol building... You don't have to arrest him or her. You just vote him out of office. You vote for somebody else. That's a form of nonviolent protest. It's really beautiful. It's genius. It's peace. It's justice. It's fairness. And so we all have to become guardians of the only free and fair form of human government that's ever existed in the history of the world. Because we've seen how fragile and vulnerable it can be. But here's some good news. Did you know that since last November, 28 American states, 28 American states have passed laws that make voting easier, not harder, but easier with such things that we've learned during the pandemic like ballot box location and absentee voting and early voting. 28 states, more than half of them, are making sure that we all have voice and we all have vote, representing 63 million Americans or a quarter of the voting population. 
Everyone gets a turn, everyone gets a voice, everyone gets a vote. Here's another core principle of democracy that comes from kindergarten. People of good conscience may differ. To put it another way, your antagonist, your ideological opponent is crucial to your own truth and your own thriving. Her very different truth hones and sharpens your own personal truth. You can't live without her, without the worthy antagonist. And so what Václav Havel hated about communist Czechoslovakia was the monolithic nature of it. It just crushed all dissent and eliminated all options. And under it, life became flat, dead, sterile, homogenous, and monotonous. On the other hand, democracy carves out adequate space for dissent and disagreement and human difference. Viva la difference, says democracy. You've heard this story, right? When Thomas Jefferson was president, his friend Alexander von Humboldt visited the president at the president's house. And Mr. von Humboldt was walking through the president's house and came into the cabinet room. And lying on a table in the cabinet room was this fiercely negative Federalist newspaper. The articles in this newspaper were not only unkind to Mr. Jefferson, but they were untrue as well. And the baron was shocked. He couldn't figure out what this newspaper was doing in this epicenter of Republican power. And so he says, Mr. President, why does this thing even exist? Why don't you squash this rag or arrest the editor? And Mr. Jefferson smiles. And he says, Baron, take that newspaper and put it in your pocket and take it home with you. And if anyone ever questions the authenticity of American liberty or the freedom of our press, you show him that newspaper and tell him where you found it. I shall walk at liberty, says the psalmist. I shall walk at liberty because I have sought the precepts of the Lord. The psalmist connects human freedom with human righteousness. That is to say, we are most free when we are paying best attention to God's holy law. I have sought liberty. I can walk in liberty because I've sought the precepts of the Lord. And therefore, I will talk about God fearlessly before kings and will not be ashamed like Václav Havel. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.